Hello, corn growers. Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Independent. Today, uh, we have the special honor of having Connor Sybil from the U of I uh, as a guest on our podcast. And uh, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about some of the work he does with uh, biologicals. Um, I'm going to give Connor a chance here to uh, introduce himself and kind of tell us uh, what he does at the U of I. Thanks for having me. Uh, really happy to have the opportunity to talk about this topic. Uh, it's one that I'm quite familiar with. Uh, a little background about how I did get here uh, and this position and to talk about this subject. I am an Illinois native, so I grew up in Byron, Illinois, up there in North, North and Ogle County. I uh, came down to the U of I for my undergrad and never left. I got a, a taste of that education, did all my grad degrees here. Uh, now I'm currently a postdoc or a postdoctoral research associate. Uh, we are just through the holidays, so I got all the fun time of explaining what that exactly is to all my family members when they say, what are you doing now? And the best way I describe it, it's like professor in training. So I am looking to be an extension specialist or a faculty member at an ag university at some point. Um, but I'm in that middle ground of not a student, but not faculty, which means I do a lot of research. Uh, and most of my research the last five years has focused in this biological or biostimulant space. And so that's kind of my bread and butter these days, so to speak, and uh, really excited to have the opportunity to discuss this topic with you today. That sounds great, Connor. Um, I know I've been up around Byron quite a bit. We, we have uh, quite a few customers up in there and a lot of, a lot of Whiffles corn grown. So anyway, um, I guess we'll jump right into it. Uh, probably the biological that um, myself and most of the other agronomists probably get the most questions on the last couple of years is, is Pivot Bio. Maybe you could give us a little background on how it works. Um, I know there's some different uh, forms of it. Some guys have tried it in furrow and now uh, with the, the proven in on the seed treatment side. So I'll just give you the floor and maybe you can kind of explain a little bit about it. Yep. Uh, and like you, I get a lot of questions on this as well. Um, I, I kind of like when I talk about this, this topic to start broad and then we'll get specific, especially when we just talk about the idea of a nitrogen fixing biological for corn in general. Uh, when I think about nitrogen fixation, you know, anyone that's grown soybean uh, and some other crops out there as well, right? You, you pull that root system up, it's got those nodules. And what we are taught and what we know is in those nodules are bacteria that pull nitrogen out of the air and then give that to the plant in exchange for sugars. And so this is a perfect system where we know the concept works. Bacteria working with plants to provide nitrogen. Uh, and in, in our Illinois soils and largely the I states, when we think about how much of a soybean's nitrogen comes from the nodule, it's probably somewhere between 50 to 60%. Uh, you know, that depends on the year and, and things like that. And some of our poorer soils, you know, if you're under 2% organic matter, it's probably even higher. You know, that soybean's probably relying on 75, 80% of the nitrogen needs coming from the nodules. And that's because soybean gets its other nitrogen from soil via mineralization, because unfortunately we know if we fertilize soybean with N, those nodules don't tend to develop. So when I think about soybean, it's either the nodules and fixation or the soil supplying the nitrogen. So then we shift to other crops, right? particularly we'll focus on corn. And we also only really have two sources of nitrogen for corn, right? So similar to soybean, they rely on soil supply, what mineralizes from the soil. And then the other supply that we're looking for to feed our corn crop is fertilizer. 
when we think about how long we've been cultivating corn, we really still only have two sources of nitrogen that we can supply that crop. And nitrogen is the number one most important nutrient that can limit yields. And that's why we talk about end fixation nitrogen so much all the time, right? It seems like every year we're talking nitrogen uh, because it's so important. And so when we get into then these products out there like Pivot Bio and others, that's what they're trying to do. The new input sector is, can we get end fixation to work for grass crops like it does similar in concept to our legume crops that we're familiar with. So that's where this kind of started from. It's a third source of nitrogen for the crop. And when you think about soil and fertilizer supply, right? Soil supply is weather dependent. It's not guaranteed. We, we can do some math. Say uh, we have an organic matter of this percent. So we can assume it will release this many pounds of nitrogen, uh, but that depends on how hot or cold it is and how much precipitation you have. Similarly, on the fertilizer, right, we can do the budgeting and plan for how much nutrition nitrogen put out with fertilizer. And we're going to hope that all that fertilizer is available for the crop all season long, right? But if it gets really wet, you can use that to lose that to leaching or if it doesn't incorporate volatilization. So two sources of N and not a ton of reliability, even though we do our best. And that's just part of the nature of the beast of working in field outdoor systems. So when we get to something like Pivot Bio uh, and some others out there, these are end-fixing inoculum, but they're different than those nodules that we think of for soybean. So those nodules on soybean are specific type of bacteria. Uh, we think about those rhizobium that we talk about. This Pivot Bio or other crops, you know, the products out there, I think uh, Corteva has their Utricia, there's Invita, uh, and some other free livers out there. They act by living along the root system and supplying that N into the soil matrix so that then the crop can take it up. Um, and each of those companies does so a little differently. And that's the key thing to the whole topic of discussion. Yes, they are all N fixers, but no, they don't all work the same. And so Pivot Bio's done something really unique. Um, they have two microbes in their product. These are what I would say free livers. They live along the roots. So they don't colonize inside the root and they don't form nodules like we think of soybean. They live along the root, feeding off of those root exudates. And what Pivot Bio has done is they've tweaked those microbes a little bit and they've made it so they always fix nitrogen. So, you know, when you think about why do microbes fix nitrogen, they pull it out of the air. So it's in a, then a form that microbes and plants can use because as we breathe it in and out, it's not in a usable form. Uh, but you're only supposed to fix as much nitrogen as you need, and then you stop until you need more. Just like we eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? You eat a meal, and then your stomach tells your brain, I'm full, so you stop eating until you get hungry again. Uh, the tweak on the Pivot Bio side, that, the analogy I like to do is they turn that signal off, so it's always fixing in. And the analogy that I like to use is, what day of the year does your stomach tell your brain you are full, and you say, that's fine, but I'm still hungry. I'm still going to keep eating. You ignore the signal, and that's Thanksgiving. Because you may be full of mashed potatoes and turkey, but you know there's pumpkin pie down the road, and you're going to make room for it, right? So that's what's working on the pivot bio. They're always fixing in as long as that crop is able to continually give them root exits to feed on uh, and coming from there. So I know that was a little long-winded, um, but that's just kind of how we think about this topic in these end fixers. Uh, and why we're talking about them from the use of nitrogen perspective, because it is a third source of N and one we haven't had access to for our grass crops in the past.
Uh, and Ryan, you had mentioned seed treatment or inferro. Um, we ourselves and our research have just started working on the seed treatment side, but we have been looking at the different inferro formulations now since 2019 uh, with some pretty good success over the years. Every year, the weather and the site changes a little bit on that variation. Um, but the biggest thing with seed treatment versus inferro, I think, is for any and all products on um, the seed treatment versus inferro. Um, you know, seed treatment, you can only coat so many products. So how many things are you going to put on that seed as a carrier? Uh, but inferro is limited to do you have the equipment to apply it? Uh, and so I think there's pros and cons to both. And in our research today, I can't specifically say one over the other. Uh, we've seen success with both. I think maybe that's my problem. Somebody's slipped me a little pivot bio. I, I can't shut off the eating sometimes. That might be my problem. I don't know. <laughs> I know uh, in the past too, I've I've heard some issues. Um, if you put the the liquid version right in the furrow, there's been some salt toxicity uh, issues. Have you guys seen any of that? Or are you you doing more of a two by two? Or uh, how how have you done that in your research, Connor? Yes. Yeah, so in our research, uh, we've been going straight in furrow right over the seed uh, with the system that we have. Uh, we are mixing with water, uh, and in research, we do a little higher output because we're small plot and we want to be accurate on the total rate. Um, so we run 12 GPA. I understand that's a lot higher than when you're thinking broad acres on commercial equipment, but in research, small plot, that's the formulation we have to roll with that mix and output. Um, we have not seen any phytotoxicity, um, salt or anything like that. But one of the things I will say, when we study products, we often look at them on their own, at least to start. So we have not yet done any um, mixes with starter fertilizers and things of that nature because starter is very one you have to be cautious of, you know, being too close to the seed and the injury. Um, so we are not two by two. We are straight in furrow, uh, but I have not seen any toxicity or salt effects uh, when I've been working with this products. Um, really, any of the end fixers, I have not yet seen an auto or a phytotoxicity type uh, effect when we go in furrow. One other uh, question I get sometimes is uh, shelf life, um, especially uh, like on the seed treatment. And if, if you guys have just started that, you may not know the answer, but um, you know, how long do I have from the day I treat, say sometime in, in March, maybe until um, I have to have that seed planted? So that's a big question, shelf life. Um, and that's for all these types of products. And it just so happens these end fixers for these grass crops like corn and wheat, um, they are a little more delicate uh, than some of our other types of products out there. So from the inferno side, right, we still have that refrigeration requirement for that product to be um, stored correctly. And then when you crack the seal, I mean, it's, it's dump it and go. Don't let it sit. Uh, and so, you know, that can create challenges in the, in the spring. I'm aware of that. You know, uh, when it's planting time, it's planting time. And sometimes we just got to focus on getting some of that seed in the ground. Uh, and we don't always have the, the time or resources to think about. Has that product been chilled from leaving the shop into the truck to all the way to the field? Things like that. As far as shelf life on the seed treatment, I don't know the exact value on that, but I do believe they're guaranteeing somewhere between 30 and 40 days. Don't quote me on that one. Uh, just the researcher side here, but um, I do know they have uh, claims of a seed treatment lasting, I believe, that 30 to 40 day range from treatment to delivery and sitting on the shelf in the shop. Yep, that, that sounds similar to what I've heard too, but probably just to be safe, you'd want to check with your Pivot Bio uh, salesman on that uh, just to make sure. 
one other question mm-hmm. I always like to give the the researchers you know an economic question here too but um I know ends came down quite a bit in price uh, this year uh, end of last year compared to what it was um what are we looking at you know value wise pivot bio type situation uh versus just you know putting down a little more at side dress time so happily, uh, I can pull the card of I'm a biologist, not an economist. Uh, our job's to show the, the potential there. Uh, but on the pricing, you know, I do know uh, compared to some of the, if you go per pound of N, it is a little more expensive than per pound of N. So um, that's definitely something that you have to take into consideration when you're looking at the economics. Uh, I'm definitely not going to deny that. I think it is a little bit um, pricier on a per pound of N, and I'd have to double check those numbers today. Um, but one of the things that we get excited about is for, for any end fixing inoculum, you know, as this, as this market space progresses, the other thing to remember is it's young. I mean, we are just getting at the very first start of what these products and this product market could do. Uh, and so as we look down the road, I think that shelf life is going to improve. Uh, and then some of the costs or the economics or the, the pounds of end these microbes can supply is also going to improve. And then the economics may come back in a little more, even on a pound per pound basis. I know, you know, there's a labor advantage there too, especially if you use the seed treatment, you know, maybe that's 40 less pounds you got to, you got to put on some other way, some other form, some other time. What areas uh, do you see looking down the road, maybe five to 10 years, the most promising with biologicals moving forward? Yeah, um, and that's a great question. I kind of alluded to it, I guess, when I was talking about the previous one. Uh, the technology is advancing. The tools we have to look at microbial fermentation processes, how to culture these microbes, how to give them longer shelf life in that solution until they are applied in the field. All of that is going to improve. Um, and we've seen this already. You know, A couple of products on market are already on their second or third generation, and they've only been out for four or five years or seasons. Uh, and so that's going to improve at least the handling, the ability to ensure that microbe is alive from day it shows up on the shop door to application in the field. So the formulation technologies are getting out there. And sometimes people ask me, you know, what separates product A from product B? Because I look at the active ingredient, and it's the same microbe especially on a lot of those bacillus type products. And I think it's the formulation. It's however that company has decided to package those microbes is going to differ from product to product uh, where you may see those that are a little more successful than others. Um, so that's just giving this whole space a little more um, practicality moving forward. Uh, and end fixation, right? As you mentioned, when we started this discussion, it's the one that everyone talks about first, but it is not the only one out there. And the phosphorocitabilization strategies, some of these bacillus type products, that gets me excited largely because of what it can do for improving phosphorus use efficiency. Uh, you know, on the end fixation, the challenge with nitrogen, as we alluded to, whether you're relying on the soil or the fertilizer, we do our best. But Mother Nature comes in and things happen that we just cannot guarantee the all the n we put out there or we're calculating to be um, released from our soil is still available and so when we have a third source like an end fixing inoculant it's ensuring that where n was lost we have another source of n to bring that up and then the field average goes up on the phosphorus side it's less so 
that the phosphorus is not there, right? We know, you know, if you get a goalie washing rain and that soil is lost from this field, it carries the phosphorus with it. But from just a rain event or, you know, leaching volatilization type concepts, we talk about a nitrogen phosphorus. It's not that it's leaving the field, it's that it's in tied up in a form that the plants cannot use. And so these phosphorus solubilization technology, largely using, you know, bacteria or humic fulvic acids, um, to me is exciting because it's going to make sure that the phosphorus we have is increasing in availability. And some might, mar you know, talk about marketing side, and this is both the phosphorus and the nitrogen discussion. You know, these biologicals can replace some of our synthetic fertilizer needs. Uh, and I would challenge that a little bit. What we tend to see is if you do what you've been doing and add the biological, it takes the system a little bit further especially on phosphorus. The way the phosphorus solubilizers work is, you know, we're talking mostly the mineral phosphates that are bound to cations in our soil. So you got your aluminum, calcium, uh, iron phosphate complexes. When they're connected together, the plant cannot use it. And when you chelate the cations, it releases the phosphorus. That's how those solubilization technologies work. But when we put it with fertilizer, what we think is happening is you're chelating the cations before they even get to the fertilizer in the first place. And now the phosphorus availability of your fertilizer is higher and a better likely chance it gets into the plant than tied to the soil. And for phosphorus, you know, the average phosphorus use efficiency of our fertilizer in the first year is if we're lucky 20% on a good day. Uh, largely, I think most of it averages closer to 15%. That is 15 to 20% of the P that I applied this year, the plant uses meaning the 80 to 85% that's left will be used by subsequent crops in future years. Imagine if we can make that efficiency go from 15 to 20 to 25 to 30. So that, that to me is really the area of excitement on the phosphorus. And more so I would challenge it's a complement to fertility rather than a replacement for fertilizer. Um, and then the last category that I really see expanding, especially the last about 18 months, is this whole residue decomposition space, right? A lot of new biologicals are marketed as double busters uh, or residue digesters is what I hear. And, but when I think about it, this makes a lot of sense because residues on the rise is the way I like to put it, right? We have more conservation tillage, whether it's no-till or strip-till, right? That's going to cause surface residues to accumulate in fields that maybe typically hadn't. Uh, cover crops, that's more residue. And we're seeing this when we talk to our Southern Illinois and even Central Illinois, double crop is moving north. That's more residue to deal with. And then the last time, sometimes I talk to growers and they say, okay, well, I'm conventional tillage. I don't double crop. I don't cover crops. So why is residue something, you know, I, I use tillage to manage residue. And the rebuttal I would have is, have your yields gone up? You know, one bushel of corn produces roughly 44 pounds of dry matter going out the back of the combine. So if your on-farm corn yield has gone up 10 bushels, you now have 440 more pounds of stover to manage. And so now residue is relevant to all growers as well. And, and that's an area I see kind of like the end fixers. I think about 2018, 2019, that door kind of opened. Uh, right now, I think is where that door is opening on the residue digestion type biologicals. That's very interesting. I know um, with all of our uh, hybrids, we've seen that. Uh, we've got a few new ones out that are just big, massive stocks and massive plant, you know, and it, it takes, it takes a big factory to, to make that, you know, 300 bushel corn we're all shooting for <laughs> leaves a lot of residue out there behind the combine. So, uh, that's pretty interesting stuff there. Mm -hmm.
if I was going to try biologicals, what advice would you give uh, to make sure I do it right? Or maybe more important, what have you seen people do wrong that they don't want to do? The biggest thing that I see do wrong is somebody comes and knocks on the door and says, I've got this product, you should try it. And so you just find a way to fit it into your system to try it. Uh, and, and a lot of times growers will ask me, you know, hey, Connor, what product should I try? What product should I use? The wrong question. The first thing you need to ask is, what about your system, your farm, makes you want to try a biological? Or, you know, is there something that you want to change on the farm, whether it's nitrogen or phosphorus or nutrient management? If it's the residue side, uh, stress relief for those biostimulants we use in season. That's the question first. What are you looking to, to change on the management side or, or um, improve upon? Now we go find the right product for the job. So do not let somebody convince you that this product is worth just putting in on five acres here or there and just see what happens. Because now you're setting yourself up for, for lack of success if you don't need what that product does. Um, and then even you know beyond that, once you decide what type of products, we'll kind of go back to the where we talked about shelf life earlier. Um, know your product, and I'm going to simplify it as: is it alive, or is it dead? And that may seem too simple, but you have to think about if you're accepting a living product, you now have a commitment to keep it alive. You know the the analogy I always use. So I don't have kids personally myself, um, but I do have two dogs. And when I adopted those dogs, I said, I'm going to feed these dogs. I'm going to give these dogs shelter, make sure that they have a good sound life uh, so they're happy and healthy. Um, but whether it's kids or your pets or the bacteria that is showing up in your front doorstep, right? If it's alive, you got to keep it alive. That's a commitment. So if you're not ready for that commitment, right? Um, we don't go that route. We go for some of those dead products, right? The ones that you can't necessarily kill. Um, and so just know your product and how to handle it give it the best chance of success um, would be kind of the two main points that I would say are, are good starting areas. And then the other thing that I'll kind of round out, you know, how, where do I see people go wrong? Biologicals are not a miracle cure. They're not going to just change the farm overnight and improve the nutrient management, you know, uh, and suddenly we fixed all of our solutions. If you forget good sound base agronomics, that will limit your yield before anything else can add yield to the farm. Uh, right hybrid selection or variety selection for the field. Right nutrient management plan in place, right? You got to have good sound base fertility up front to give yourself a good, strong, happy, healthy plant. And then that plant can work with the biologicals to make both of them happier and get extra yield and bushels on the backside of it. So in general, our data would suggest these are a next step input maybe not a replacement for something else. I know I, I've had ran into that situation with some customers. You, you ask them, uh, you know, did you try a certain product? And they're like, yep, it was great. I said, uh, what did you leave some check strips? Do you, how do you know? And he goes, well, what, we just put it on everything and our, our yields were good. I'm like, How do you really know that product made any difference or not? So leave some check strips. Um, and don't try five things in each check strip. Just try one and, and uh, make sure that works. I wish you would say that again. Um, I hear this too, right? Well, we changed three things or we added three products. Okay, so was it product A, B, C, or did two of them not like each other? Yes, please, you know, if you're going to make a change, go one step at a time. Very important. 
Well, one last question, and uh, I may be breaking into some secret code here you, you can't share, but um, I know the Uphoffs, they're uh, some customers of ours, and uh, they've they had some great success this year and have in the past with the National Corn Growers Contest. Uh, I know they actually just set the new Illinois state record at uh, 362 and a half this year, which is which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um is there anything, um, I see they actually mentioned your name and uh, Dr. Bilo in one of the articles I read. Uh, so just wondering if we could get any secret sauce or if they're trying anything with biologicals, maybe that uh, the rest of us might want to take a peek at. Yeah, so I mean, huge congratulations for the Uphoffs on all of their uh, accomplishments with the yield contest this year and, and in years past. They've had great success and continue to do so. Uh, you know, I think they give us a little more credit uh, than we deserve. I'm not sure how much we did directly with them, um, but I do know that what we've done in our research and when we do our field days is we show what's possible, or we talk about certain management practices and how they interact. And then uh, what Troy and his family has done is they've taken that information and applied it to their farm. So I actually do not know the exact recipe. Uh, I don't know. I haven't talked to or asked Troy specifically, you know, is there biological that you're working with. He may be, maybe not. That I do not know. Um, but what I do know is that each of those fields uh, were not all managed identically either, right? So it's understanding, you know, they've really done a great job of knowing the field they're working with and how to best manage, you know, that piece of land. Uh, and then when they go to the different farm, manage that piece of land for what it needs. And I think that's the big takeaway. I mean, for all agronomy, right? So it's been a biological discussion but just all agronomy in general, everything we do interacts, right? So sometimes as a researcher, it's the bane of our existence uh, when they interact and you don't get the result maybe we were expecting or we get result A in one year and then repeat and get a different result the next year. Um, so to, to specific to the Uphoffs, I don't know if they have a specific biological mix, um, but I do know that they're just really paying attention to how all those factors interact so they can optimize them all for the best value. And that's where we're going to see those record yields. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that uh, we might have missed that you wanted to share, Connor, or ready to get off the hot seat? <laughs> uh, no worries. You guys, I mean, it's been a great discussion. Good questions. A lot of the same questions I get from growers. So happy to have the opportunity to talk about it and get some of my general you know, thoughts on the topic out there. Uh, and we are public servants. So the Crop Physiology website is open uh, for anyone to access. We have resources on there as well as our contact information. So uh, my email is sybil2 at illinois.edu. I have no problem sharing that. Um, And then just back to biologicals in general, the big companies are really getting involved. The big seed companies, the big fertilizer companies, you know, sometimes in ag, we see something, you know, kind of come up and then it kind of goes away. And then every 20 years, that cycle, it kind of shows up. The amount of companies and the big companies that are in this space, I personally do not think that the biological discussion where the product market is going away. And I think it's here to stay. You know, I think, you know, we've always got seed inputs. We've always got pesticide inputs. We've always had fertilizer inputs. And I think the biological input is going to be that fourth category that's in down the road going to be in always had something in there. And when we talk to our future generations. And so the key there with growers is if it's not going away, we got to do everything we can to understand it so that we don't get taken advantage of. We use the right solutions for the right acres uh, and just make sure we're doing our research and understand things and start asking questions. You know, Look for those red flags on a product because 
there's a lot of products in this space out there. I mean, it's just incredible. And so you have the right and you should be, you know, be picky and don't, you know, let something be forced into the farm. Uh, but my personal opinion where I've seen the markets going, I don't see it going away. So we best we can do is try and stay on top of it. Um, so we know we make the right decisions when that time comes. Yeah, I always find it kind of funny. It seems like the uh, the wave of some of these uh products, you know, kind of, kind of rides the price of corn, uh, the higher the price of corn, uh, some of these get dug out of the closet. It seems like you get a few more knocks on the, on the shop door every year. But, uh, you know, like you said, I think there's some major investment from some very big companies on some of these that, uh, probably going to hang around for a while. We need to figure out how to use them best. So with that, uh, I think we'll go ahead and, and close this up and thank Connor. Um, our our goal of today was to try and be a little little warmer, a little more efficient than the basketball team yesterday. So hopefully we've we've done that. So that was that was pretty rough to watch, but uh, we'll we'll move on. And uh, again, thank you, Connor, very much for uh, for uh, being on the hot seat with us today. And as usual. I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. And if you have any questions you want to submit, uh, agronomy at wiffles.com, uh, you can submit those and we'll try and cover them in future uh, podcasts. Thanks everybody for listening.